time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 118 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Round two of salted caramel. Again. Again. Shocker. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the Healthy Nutritious Treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. I'm going to start this with how are you doing? I'm cold. It's windy as anything out there. I just came in from putting the chickens in. It's Friday night, but man, is it cold and windy. And windy it is. I'm going to hearken back to a couple of weeks ago when you and I went on an adventure. That was fun. And it wasn't cold and windy that day. No, it was actually really nice. (laughs) Seven states in 17 hours. We did a little road tripping. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Well, we were going to Massachusetts to pick up four rare breed sheep. These are one of those sheep I wanted for years and years. It was an opportunity we couldn't pass up. (laughs) So it was a lot of states and a lot of hours. We drove to Lincoln, Massachusetts. And back. And back. And one day, I took the one person in the universe that I knew would keep me awake. <laughs> and I did my job. And she did her job. And I navigated us the entire way. And I think you've become even more of a sheep lover. Oh, you know me, any animal. So it was many hours of Holly talking sheep with a farmer. And I just played with the sheep for many hours. And these are beautiful Huisson sheep, which is a French breed. Yeah, they're really um, cute. They are one of the smallest breeds of sheep in the world. So if you check out our social media, Chrissy made a lot of videos. There's still a few more I have to put up. I was taking videos and playing and some of them were kissing me and it was lots and lots of fun. And having them right between us on the way home basically was hilarious. And Mm -hmm. the people pointing, there's sheep in the back of that Subaru. There you go. Everyone likes to see the sheep in the Subaru. But it was fun. It was a good day. I was very proud of my navigational skills. I got us there and back. You did an awesome job because I could not stop to navigate. I needed you. Well, some of the roads, like especially around New York City and Jersey, Mm -hmm. like they split off and it's like you have to be looking and everything else. And I was like, I got us there and I got us home. Well, on the way home, I mean, I had four sheep in the back and I could not really take my eyes off the road. So I needed you. So, Oh, yeah. I personally loved this when we were driving and someone like you had to get over and someone cut us off and you're like, Oh, I hate you. She didn't use those exact words. And then she turned around and said, you okay, babies? (laughs) Maybe I'm a little bit of a salty driver. It's no secret that I love sheep and chicken and all the other animals. (laughs) But yeah, no, it was a fun day, but tiring. I think I'm still catching up from Me too. We're old ladies, man. It's pretty- It was like a throwback to our youth, but that's done. It's over. Can you imagine four sheep in the backseat of the Lincoln? They probably would have fit. That breed might have. They're really tiny sheep. Well, they're about 65 pounds a piece, but they would have fit in the backseat of that Lincoln. Um, Gabrielle is probably more like 45 pounds. She's, She's tiny. very tiny, yeah. 
So just FYI, everyone, stay tuned for our retail therapy. We're going to talk about a chicken course for the Akakik Foundation, oh, the yeah. National Colonial Park. It's really great. We're going to talk about it for retail therapy. Stick around. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. It's another great and easy way you can help us grow. And you never miss an episode. You can tell some chicken-loving friends about the podcast. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can visit our Etsy shop, check out our mugs and t-shirts. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. We have three levels of membership there. And the other thing you can do to help support the show is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the February box, I absolutely love the red iron rooster trivet and the seed block. I really love that egg timer. It's going to be great when I'm baking. And those chicken stickers are going to be awesome on notes I send out. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. Da-da-da-da-da-da, let's party! Cause it's a breed spotlight, yeah! <laughs> wow, that was a full body experience. Okay, so this week's breed spotlight is... Is the Pita Pinta Asturiana. And it makes me think of a piñata. Of course it does. The Pita Pinta is an absolutely beautiful bird that is native to the Asturia region of northern coastal Spain. It's also known as the Asturian Painted Hen. Yes, it is. And this is a name they may give you a clue to their colorful appearance. Mottled or splash. Yeah, they're gorgeous birds. So the Pita Pinta is a dual-purpose breed and a rare breed as well. They are the only breed native to the Asturia region of Spain. The Basque Hen is similar because it's an independent area. Right. So Asturias is an independent principality that's located in northwestern Spain. Okay. And it's separated from most of the country by the Cantabrian Mountains. So it's a territory that has been inhabited by the Asturias people for thousands of years, and they are a remnant of Celtic settlements. 
So this area is famous for tourism, for the mining industry, for seafood, for apples and hard cider, and for cheese. Hmm. So there is a particular blue cheese. It's called Cabrales. Okay. And it is a famous mixture of sheep, goat, and cow's milk. So it's like a three-animal cheese. I would have to taste it to see how I feel about it because I am not a fan of goat's cheese. So, yeah, the Cabrales is a blue cheese. So if you like blue cheese, it will be a good one to try. Yeah. Now, along with chickens, Asturias has other types of indigenous livestock. Okay, they're cattle. They have the Asturian cattle. And then they have a small and beautiful sheep called the Shalda. Okay, where are we driving to pick up your next Shalda I believe we're going to Asturias. (laughs) But this is really interesting because the Asturias are Celtic people, right? Right. The Shalda is a black-wooled sheep, and it's a smaller sheep, and it may be a relative of the Huissant sheep from France that we just picked up. So there really was not a lot that I could find about the origins of the Pita Pinta. Part of that, obviously, is that we have not flown to Spain yet. Greenfire Farm notes that they are descended from the same hardy land-raised chickens that also became the Basque hens. So there's the Basques again. Right. That's an interesting connection. The Pita Pinta do have an unusual appearance, and they really don't seem to resemble a lot of the other chickens in the Spanish region. Yeah, they look a little bigger. They're also in the north, not the south, so right. not a Mediterranean We're not breed. a Mediterranean. So that's probably why, and they're near a mountainous region, which is going to make them bigger and a little bit more hardy of a chicken. Yeah. I can see that coming out of this. Right. What I did find was the same old modern story. Industrial layers moved into Asturias in the 1950s and 60s, and the pita pintas almost went extinct. I mean, the pattern is so huge, you just can't ignore it. I feel like for you have like the rite of passage as a chicken, you have to almost become oh my extinct God. and then bounce back. Are you really a heritage breed if you haven't almost gone extinct? Exactly. The conservation efforts, I think, in Europe didn't always align with the ones in the U.S. Yeah, Europe's always a little different than the U.S. Right, and this, especially this region that's separate in a lot of ways. So in the 1980s and 90s, the conservation-minded breeders began searching for the existing pita pintas. Right. And apparently they got lucky. They did find some in Asturias, and then they found some in nearby Leon, the city of Leon. So they had a small but really nice genetic mix to work from. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. So here's the thing. They're standard breed chicken. Roosters weigh in about nine and a half. That's a pretty big rooster. That's, it's good-sized. And hens are around six. They have straight combs, red faces and earlobes, yellow legs, and a shorter tail. Yes. It's not super short, but it's noticeably shorter than most breeds, especially on the roosters. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful spotted birds. I'm just looking at the page for Greenfire Farms. They have the black modeled and the red modeled. Right. So So there are four color varieties. Let's name them. Let's go. So there's the Pinta Negra. Which is the modeled black. The Pinta Rocha. Modeled red. Brown. The the Blanca. Can we all guess white? That's going to be white. And Abadul. Black. Or birch modeling. It's a dark background with a lighter modeling. Still very pretty, but I think most rare. Yeah. Our friend Kate over at Hens on Oxney, she actually bred some of these birds too, I believe. I believe she was doing the modeled black and modeled red. Right. I think so. So yeah, this is another breed that is going to need a little help, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're sold out of the black modeled and the red over at Greenfire Farm. Uh Uh-huh. The chickens that you're going to get over there are going to be unsexed. So you have to be willing to take a boy if you get one. So your hens, how are they laying? They have a reputation of being very good layers. They're cream colored eggs, so they're not quite white. 220 to 250. They're good layers. That's a good layer. So I did read in one source that they do not go broody, but then I saw in another source that they will. I think after watching Peggy, my cream leg bar, yeah. sit on some eggs, anybody can go broody at any point. It's a possibility. 
Now, in Asturias, they were dual-purpose, but not in the traditional way. They were mostly kept as laying hens, but with occasional table bird use. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is there was not as much meat consumed there. So they're gentle and friendly. They should be fine in a mixed flock. I saw a couple breeders mention that they do very, very well in a mixed flock with other gentle and friendly breeds. We go into this all the time. Plan your flocks Mm -hmm. to be all the same type of birds or else you're going to have some issues. So this is one that may need to go in a little bit more tame flock. But all in all, they seem to be a pretty good family bird. One of the things I really like about them is they're absolutely stunning. I mean, I think these are really beautiful birds. They're beautiful. Now, here's the thing. Being the mountain birds that they are, they're active and inquisitive. So Mm -hmm. they're going to be out looking and foraging. So they may need some good supervised free range times or a larger area of enclosure for them so that they don't get bored. They're very good homestead or hobby farm birds in a lot of ways. They're not APA accepted, of course, but they do have a breed standard in their homeland now. Right. So back in Asturias, a breeder's club was formed in 2003. Not far back. No. They have a breed standard, and they also maintain a stud book, which records the male breeding lines. I'm sure the female, of course. But that makes it much easier to trace bloodlines. I think it's a really good idea. The breed is heat-hardy. They're not a big fan of cold weather. So this might be a better choice if you live in the south or if you're in the north. By all means, you can have them, but you have to make provisions. They have a bigger straight comb, mm-hmm. and they tend to like the warmer temperatures, so a panel heater may be something for them. Yeah, supplemental heat and plenty of shelter from cold wind. I was thinking about this the other day, the whole heat-hardy, cold-hardy debate. Yeah. We get such weird weather swings now that even if you have heat-hardy birds in the south and cold-hardy birds in the north, you still might have to have provisions. Totally. I mean, Texas just went through a deep freeze. They seem to be going through deep freezes more and more More and more. So these things still matter, but we should all prepare for the fact that we might have to make provisions for just weird weather. Yeah. Panel heater in the winter or fan in the summer. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should have that. I don't think it's too much to ask for your chickens. Yeah. So Asturia has a mild maritime climate. You know, it's on the coast. So they didn't really evolve with features to keep them comfortable in freezing. Panel heaters are your really good friend in the winter. Which of the color varieties do you like best? I like the model both red and black. Do you have a preference for the two? I like the red. It's more unusual. It's more unusual. You don't see a lot of red modeling. That's the one I would go for because I feel like black and white model is a little bit more... Not common, but you do see more of it. A little more common, a little bit more. Where the white with the red model, the red spot on it, it's really, really striking. It's a beautiful bird. You're looking at them right now. That's the Green Fire Farm red model. See how the tail's a little shorter? It's a little shorter, but it also sticks out because it's plain white and the rest of the bird is mottled. Right. Or look at the rooster tail. I was going to say, there's the rooster. The sickle feathers are not that long. And he is cool looking, man. Oh, I think the roosters of this breed are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Let's talk about where you can get them. Because Mm -hmm. after talking about this bird and everybody seeing the pictures when you look them up, you're going to want to know this. So if you're in the U.S., you're going to go to Green Fire Farm. Shocker. Green Fire Farm imported a really nice group of these birds in 2018. And they breed the Pinta Negra and the Pinta Rocha, which are the red and the black modeled. Right. And in the UK, you're going to try our friend Kate. Hens on Oxney, yeah. Sometimes she has them, sometimes she doesn't. No matter where you are, if you're looking for a very, very different looking bird, yeah, this would be a really good one to look into. It's yeah. a friendly bird. It's right. beautiful. It's a good layer. And of course, if you want to do this bird, you need to be prepared for roosters. Yeah, because you're getting them unsexed. Right, you're getting them unsexed. There may be a couple of other farms in the U.S. breeding them. I didn't look that hard. I, yeah. Honestly, I didn't even look past Greenfire Farm. 
They're right. a reputable, really good place. So go over there, check them out. Right now they're sold out. Yeah, well, no wonder. I mean, gorgeous, good layers. The pinata friendly, chicken. The friendly pinata chicken. If you have this amazing, beautiful bird. The beautiful pita pinta. Send us pictures. We want to flood our Instagram next week with this bird. So DM your pictures. We will give you a story. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We personally use Roosties products with our chickens and we're huge fans. They have their awesome nesting pads, do-it-yourself feeder and waterer kits, and they've just released their best product ever, a new chick feeder and waterer set. They have adjustable legs to keep food and water clean. They're super well-made, and the feeder even has a removable lid so it can easily be filled from the top. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, all their products are available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Check out the Roosty store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so now it's time to move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. And this week, we welcome back Fiona for our roundtable all about should you start a flock of chickens this year? Let's go across the pond so we can have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. Still desperately trying to get that right. Hey, Fiona, how are you doing this month? Oh, really good. It's just so busy at the moment. You know, we're starting to come out of winter and uh, there's so much to do. There's all the planting for the new year and chickens are all coming back on to lay and it's just so much. And all the youngsters are starting to lay as well. Uno laid her first egg today. Aww. And it's this tiny, tiny little thing. And it's That's so sweet. The tiny pullet eggs are so cute. When you go out and you find them and you're so happy. Although, once you get so many more chickens, sometimes you don't know who laid that egg. You're like, oh. Oh, we've got coop cams. I know. I can spot them. <laughs> I know which one's gone in and which one's laid that egg. The cameras are really fantastic for that. I'm addicted to ours, totally, I must admit. <laughs> it becomes a bit obsessive after a while when you're actually watching the cameras to see who's laying the egg, whose egg is that? Then you know that when you can let it go and be on to the next thing to watch yeah, for. exactly. Well, I've been watching for ages for Uno because she does that. She's been doing that, following me around like a little puppy every time I go into the enclosure for about two weeks now. And she's under my feet the whole time. I mean, it's adorable. It, it is. You know, she just wants to be sitting on my knee and she wants to be held and cuddled. But I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And today she did a job, but she's still following me around like a puppy. So I'm happy. <laughs> My Jubilee Orpingtons have done the same thing. And Victoria yeah. started laying. I think Elizabeth may have started laying. There was a tiny pink egg. For the first time ever, I saw both of them go in the bread coop during the day. The Jubilees? Yeah. And I'm not sure if they're laying or not, but... They're at least checking out the nest boxes. They're checking out the yeah. nest boxes. Good. Yeah. And the truffle. Jubilees are so beautiful. They, they are. They really are. And they know they're it. They're stunning. Now, Truffle, my barn of elder, she is the one that's at my feet one million percent of the time. You walk in, it's like, I don't want to step on you, but she's like clinging to me constantly. <laughs> she never lets me walk anywhere without her. Is she laying? 
Oh, she's been laying for a long time. Mine have too. Okay. okay. Really dark, really pretty eggs. Yeah. She's an every other day layer, like clockwork. Like I know yeah, every other day. They're just so friendly and lovely. We're going to have a go at hatching some more this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. You will love them if you get proper Barnevelders this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did have proper Barnevelders. It's just we only had boys last time. Oh, God. Oh, man. Okay. So this month for our round table, we are going to talk about these questions that you ask yourself. Should you start a chicken flock? So this is kind of for somebody that's on the fence or, you know, that's kind of starting to think about, should I have a chicken flock? So we're going to go with the pros and cons. I think this also applies if you're trying to decide whether or not you want to expand your flock. Exactly. The same things kind of go. So let's start with the reasons why. Why do you want to have chickens? Why do I want to have chickens? Well, obviously, I want to be a crazy chicken lady. So that was my number one thing. (laughs) It's so aspirational. Let's face it. Crazy chicken ladies of the world, we should unite. Absolutely. Hashtag crazy chicken ladies unite. That's out there now. (laughs) Lots of people are using it. Please put it in. You'll see us all on there. Now, all joking aside, the psychological benefits of having chickens is absolutely phenomenal. Even if you don't want all of the other wonderful things that go with them. Actually having an animal which essentially is normally a prey animal and is scared of people and will run away, getting them to trust you and want to spend time with you, it's just so rewarding. I personally think it's much more rewarding than a cat or a dog or any of the normal pets that you might have. Yeah, winning their trust is actually sheep are the same way, honestly. Mm. When you get to the point where they're coming to you, you know, they want to see you. They want to be with you. It's so special. Chickens are, for lack of a better word, morphing into a pet that is more like a dog and a cat because we're getting to know their intellect more, their emotional intellect, and what they have the capacity to give us and take back. It's a lot, right down to snuggling. The number one pro is emotionally, psychologically, the benefits of having chickens at your house. Yeah, I really think so. I mean, there's the obvious ones, you know, you get these wonderful butt nuggets that we call <laughs> eggs. The quality that you actually get from the chickens you keep yes. uh, is just so different to the stuff that you actually buy in the store. You can't get the same. No, you can't. You know how you hear a lot of duck keepers will say duck eggs are so much better for baking? Yeah. Well, I have a friend who's a duck keeper and she has given me eggs for baking. Karen, if you're listening. Yeah, her duck eggs made amazing cakes. But my chicken eggs are just as good as those duck eggs. A lot of people say the duck eggs are better for baking. It's because they've got higher yolk to white ratio. And fat. Higher fat too. Yeah. But um, the chicken eggs, I think if you're feeding them well and they've got that great omnivore, they can chase after their worms and they can have their little critters and their insects and things. And they can have all the fresh grass as well as their pelleted balanced nutrition as well. The quality of that yolk is super creamy and it's the yellow of a Victoria sponge with a free range egg. It's just amazing. Just this morning, I was making some eggs for everyone and I cracked the egg yolks and I was amazed myself how orange and vibrant those yolks are. Yeah. Well, you can track your supply chain. You know what your chicken ate. You know what went into those eggs. If you're concerned about, say, feeding your children or your elderly parents, You know exactly what's going into them. Right. Yeah. You can very, very closely, very easily check out the ingredients on any of those food packets at all. And you have a choice. There are incredibly cheap pelleted foods out there and there's very high-end pelleted foods out there. 
and you get what you pay for and you get it back in the quality of the eggs that you've got. Yes. But it's those high welfare standards as well, because if you're able to give them some grass to graze on and let them hunt for their little worms and their little beetles and insects as well for their omnivore diet, that welfare standard comes back in the quality of eggs too. But I mean, who wants to buy their eggs from the store knowing that those chickens are being caged? Battery farms are still legal in the US. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're not in the UK. However, we have something called enriched caged instead. It's still caging them, but they do have more room than a battery farm. But I don't want my eggs from that, from a chicken that's held in that environment. I feel responsible for how that chicken's lived. I want them living their best life. And I think that comes in once you have chickens, you cannot go back. Now, if I have to purchase eggs because my chickens are on a break, they're from the local farm. Once you know chickens is to love chickens, and that's the benefit. The other thing you were talking about before we were recording, Fiona, was the whole like ecosystem. Yeah. So once your chicken poops, you can use that as fertilizer on your vegetables after you've rotted it down for a little while. You can give the vegetables back to your chickens and you've got that closed loop ecosystem. And that as well is really rewarding because you're seeing all of your veggies in your garden doing so, so well. You can feed yourself. You can give some supplements to the chickens as well, which they'll go crazy for. And if your cabbages have been eaten by caterpillars, give the caterpillars to the chickens. It's great. They always say the best place to grow a garden is inside the chicken run. The problem is... Unless it's cabbages because they'll (laughs) annihilate a whole lot. They'll annihilate it. I did see a gardener here in the UK who has these beds, very, very long beds. And at the end of the season, when they've finished with their cabbages or their Brussels sprouts or anything like that, and they've taken all that they want and they've got some which are a little bit scrubby, they built this temporary run to put over these beds. And the chickens were just left to go crazy inside these temporary runs and then they could move it to the next one. And the chickens absolutely loved it. That's another different pro is that they will help you with your gardening. They'll help turn a bed over. They're going to eat that extra stuff so that you're not having to pull it out. They're going to benefit from it. That's another pro. In the U.S., sometimes you see that closed ecosystem referred to as permaculture. I feel like Pete and I maybe dabble in a bit of permaculture, but I would not describe our place as permaculture at all. Even the soil bedding, I use that as a a fertiliser. I actually put it around our hardwood fruit bushes. Uh So because that's got fresh poop in it, it's not rotted down. You can't put it anywhere. There's very soft shoots coming up because it will rot those. But round gooseberry bushes, black currants, raspberry canes, it works brilliantly. It really, really does. When we dig out our run, we go down deep about a foot and then dig out. And that's the manure that we're going to use to put around our trees and our beds, take all those rich nutrients and give them back to our property. It works. It works. It does. Okay, so let's move on to the next pro. Chickens are pretty. (laughs) That's Holly. Entertaining. This is the whole entertainment aspect. I mean, all you have to do is go to our Instagram feeds, Coffee with the Chicken Ladies and the Floof Lady, and you'll see just how entertaining they are. Thousands and thousands of people agree with us. It has to be said. Oh, yeah. They're better than TV. I love just watching them doing what they do. They have big hearts. They're funny. I've been on the phone with Fiona or Holly before, and I'm like, I cannot believe this one just did this. 
I talk to them like they're people because I feel like they can understand me. I'm like, don't pick on your sister or don't do this. But yeah, they're definitely entertaining. It gets you outside. That's another benefit. It gets you outside. It gets you moving. It gives you a reason to have to go out and not stay in the house all the time because they're waiting for you to take care of them. So you have to get up. You have to exercise. It's good for your body to have to take care of somebody else. It takes us in that big loop, doesn't it, back to that psychological benefit. To me, it's that moment of calm in the day. If I'm hyped up, if I'm stressed out, if I'm upset, the one thing that just grounds me and brings me back is 10 minutes of just sitting in my chair in the chicken enclosure with the chickens, just watching them, them jumping on my lap. And it's just wonderful. It just resets my mind completely. Yeah. And there's nothing else out there except for you and the chickens. And it's just a peaceful place. There's two things that I've seen on Instagram in the last couple of days from accounts that I follow. One is clicker training with oh, chickens. Yeah. Really entertaining for us and actually really entertaining for the chickens too. So basically you're using a clicker to reward the chicken for pecking at a particular coloured square. And then you keep testing them once they've got the hang of it. You then put in another coloured square, but they still go back to the one where they got the reward for. And then eventually they'll just do it when you use a clicker. They will just peck on that particular square and you can use it for all sorts of things. But then there was was somebody else doing chicken agility training as well. Yeah. So, you know, chasing them to jump over things. And that's just so entertaining as well. I mean, if you want real happiness with your pets, give it a go. There's actually a book called Click With Your Chick by Jeannie Keys that talks about clicking to train your chicken. And that's what she does. And she says you can train your chickens easier than your dogs. So that book is Click With Your Chick by Jeannie Keys. It talks all about how to do it. It's amazing. I, I am going to get that now chick- and read it properly. Even if you just want to teach your chickens their name so they come to you when you call their name, you can oh. click or train them. Uno knows her name anyway. <laughs> Actually, I think all of mine know their name. Rhubarb does as well. There's only DeWalt because he thinks his name is Big Tool. Okay, can I say though, I saw him in one of your videos the other day. He's yeah. a hunk of hunk of love. Oh, he's he gorgeous. He's lovely, isn't he? And mm. he's so gentle as well. I mean, every evening when I put them all to bed, I go out and make sure they've all gone into the coop properly. And I open up the big coop and he always comes up to see me. And I pick him up, stick him on my lap, and he just sits there and loves every Aww. minute of it. Aww. He really does. I wish he'd leave Taffy alone at the moment. Taffy is too old for that big boy. She is his favorite, and she's always trying to get away from him. Oh, man. I just leave her alone. There's others that like, will That's my lady. Him. That's Absolutely. my lady. But Taffy, no, <laughs> leave her alone, man. Aww. I want to give you the shout out to who's doing the agility training. It's a mutual friend of ours on Instagram, <laughs> and it's Kelly over at Chicken Life with Sandra. Yeah. So cute. She's in Scotland, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah she yeah. is. Yeah. She does a lot of cuddling videos. We're seeing them. Aww. They're amazing. Keep it up. Kelly's but, lovely. She yeah. really is. So the next one that I was going to mention is that you can live off of your land or let's just say small holding, homesteading. Some food security and some self-sufficiency. There we go. Right. Yeah, you can. And I see this debate raging all the time, whether or not you can truly be self-sufficient. The problem I've got with it is that the initial capital costs to keep chickens are so incredibly high. So the entry level to actually get into it 
if you get a dog, your dog lives in your house and right. basically you can just buy in the dog food and feed the dog. With chickens, you've got to buy a chicken coop, you've got to have a run, you've got to think about the predators who may go after them. And if you're in an area with a lot of predators, maybe you can't let them free range at all. So that run's right. got to be a, a significant size. So that's um, something we're going to be talking about on the other side of it. Yeah, there is the food security. I think once you've got past that right. and you actually get into it, if you're after a payback period for the initial amount of money you put in, forget it. But if you right. can afford that in the first place, you can be self-reliant. Right. And I suppose the big question there is, are you going to save money being self-reliant? No. Certainly not a question that. If you're selling eggs and eating the eggs and you count the money you would have saved having bought eggs, no, you're still going to spend more money all probably you on the food you feed them. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're breeding them like I do, we actually make a very small profit because mm-hmm. we are selling fertilized eggs and we are selling excess hens as well for a reasonable amount of money because they are a named rare breed. Right. And we do make a very small profit, but I do underline it's a small profit. We small. had this conversation a couple of weeks ago and we drove to Massachusetts to pick up the sheep. And I will say when I sell things made for my wool, I get income. But it's not profit. That's what we were saying. Money in is not profit. So it really depends on your system. There are probably are ways where you can eventually get a small profit. I would say the majority of cases, especially around here, you're going to get some income, but you're probably not going to make actually a profit. Maybe you don't need the financial income, but you're getting the income of eating what you've grown. If what you're after is establishing your own food source and all the control that goes with that, and the financial cost isn't part of it, then you're gold. You're gold. You can get exactly what you want. I agree. It is possible to set things up, but you would need to be breeding and you would need to be selling. Right. I think actually point of lay chickens, not day old chicks either, it would be point of lay chickens. Because they um, sell for more than a chick. Absolutely. So this is a really weird thing, but like it makes me feel rooted. It makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I belong in this life with my sheep and my chickens. It gives you a purpose. I don't know that I have the words for it. It just feels right. No, I I get it. I get it completely. And if you feel that way, you should start your flock. Absolutely. So this is a good time for us to turn to the other side. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're not understanding what it takes or how it goes to raise a flock, this is where we're going to tell you a little bit of the cons, the downside, where you might want to say to yourself, is this really for me? These are the things you want to be prepared for because, you know, you can read a thousand articles that say, take care of your chickens in five minutes a day, set up a chicken coop for, you know, $300. Maybe you could, but most of the time that's not going to be realistic. You could set up a chicken coop for $300, but then you'll be repairing it and spending $50 or $100 every winter. Or more, and you may lose your chickens to predators. Now, they're going to destroy your grassy areas if you let them out of an enclosure and you give them that grassy area, they're going to eat them. When we talked about run building, I laughed out loud when we listed the first substrate as grass because (laughs) that will be gone in a few days. And that can work to your advantage if, say, you want to defoliate a spot to put a garden bed in. Right. Yeah, I mean, over here in the UK, we can properly free range. It's not like you guys who, you know, because the amount of predators, you have to do it under supervision. You let them out. 
So hours are out all the day. And every single summer I get no end of comments on my social media saying, why do you still have grass? How are you doing it? And all I can say is a tiny amount of chickens, big space, massive space. So we're talking half an acre and we start with 12 chickens. We grow to 85 at peak, but we're talking tiny chicks to adolescents. Are you rotationally grazing though? No, they have got access to the entire half an acre all through summer. The only area that they destroy the grass completely is under the big cherry tree where they've got all the shade because (laughs) they want to dust bathe there. They dig lots of holes. So they're chewing the grass and they're digging the holes to dust bathe. Yep. Yeah. I've stepped in my runs multiple times and went, whoop. And I'm like, didn't see that one coming. (laughs) They're going to dig holes around your property. If that's a problem for you, then that might be a reason not to have chickens. Again, you can use that to your advantage. Plant a flower there. (laughs) When spring comes and you want your beds turned over and start planting, put your hands in there. I've done it. I used to grow a lot of flowers for cutting on the family farm. I would just let the Jersey Giants out. I would be there with them, but I would take them over to a particular bed and they would strip that thing, turn yeah. all the soil over. I'm also a farmer from way back. And so what I'm saying is I don't get upset about some stuff not looking great. If you're yeah. on a road front and you don't want your front lawn messed up, you might not want chickens on your front lawn. Right. Even in the half acre they've got access to, there's days where all I can see are the areas where they've taken the grass up underneath the cherry tree. And I ignore all the other areas where I'm still having to cut the grass because it's growing faster than they can graze <laughs> yeah. it. But I also know that not many people can give over that amount of space either. So it is something to consider. I think the legitimate way of doing it and the, probably the best is the way that you do it in the US will be you're forced to do it because the predators is have that wonderful run set up with lots and lots of entertainment for them and then let them out for short periods in your garden into your grassy areas and spend time with them when they're out. Yeah. Supervised free range. Yeah. Okay. So let's go on to the next one. There's lots of poop. That poop is a real advantage. But if they're out on your grass, be aware of where you're stepping. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of poop, but there's different things you can do with it. If it's a problem, that's a con, but we can easily turn it to a pro. You're going to use it for your beds. It is, but I do remember one person once saying to me, they picked up chickens from us. We knew they were new chicken keepers. We spent a lot of time with them, helping them, getting all the things set up. And she rang me up three weeks later laughing and said, the one thing you didn't tell me is how much poop they produce. How can something so small produce that much? 15 a day. A hen poops an average of 15 times a day. And I know this because of watching four chickens. And I always say to Holly, my least favorite is when somebody's not feeling well and I'm on poop watch. Yep. They have a highly efficient digestive system. It moves through quicker. That's compost gold to me. Yeah, It <laughs> okay, is. It really is. I'm not sure that's really a con. It might be for some people. So, you know, that's yeah. why you included it. Okay. So the next I'll one you include, they are noisy, even the hens. It's happy noises to me. I love those Yeah, but it might not be to your neighbours. If you've got close neighbours, if you live in an urban environment, it may be a problem because a lot of people, before they get chickens, think it's just cockerels, it's roosters who make the noises. If you're in an urban area, this may be a bigger con for you or a townhome community in a suburban area. You may want to check with your neighbors. Honestly, I am totally coming from a place of privilege because I have always lived on acreage. And I know that not everyone is that lucky. That's absolutely the truth. 
And if you are trying to become an urban chicken keeper or keeper in your suburban backyard, it's a thing. I mean, we just had like oh. a weeks long battle here in a, a rural area. In my neighborhood, which is agricultural. Over family, a rooster. Yeah, family had a rooster and one of the neighbors just kept complaining on them. They got like thousands of dollars in fines. And they were wow. on 10 acres. 10 acres. <gasps> and someone complained. Wow. Right. And so they fought it and eventually the neighbor dropped the charges, probably because there was so much publicity. Everyone was going crazy. Like, how could you do this? How can you live in a rural area yeah. on 10 acres and have your neighbor be upset with a rooster crowing? You're in an area that's all about this. That's the thing. It's something to be aware of. Now, the other con is look at your city ordinances. Make yeah. sure that you can have chickens because of the noises that they make. Some towns may not let you have them. And honestly, if you're in a city that, say, allows four hens, do not try to slip that fifth hen in because if someone complains about you, you will have to rehome. And that her. will be harder it's to rehome than yeah. not to have yeah. them. Exactly. Don't try to slip under those regulations. <laughs> it can go very badly don't, wrong. Don't be shady, man. Don't be shady. Yeah, and here in the UK, there are very few places which don't let you have chickens or roosters, but there are normally local rules around it. So they'll say, if you do have a cockle, talk to your neighbours, consider keeping them in until a reasonable time of the day, so 8am rather than letting them out at dawn. It's a lot more considerate, but they will actually have environmental inspectors out for noise complaints if it is excessive. And your neighbours do have a right to complain. But the other thing is, if you own your home, there could be a clause in your deeds which prevent you from having them. If you're in rented accommodation, your landlord could have a clause in your rental agreement. So just check those out as well. So it's not just the local environment. Well, I have 11. And honestly, I've never said anything to my nearest neighbor because he stands in the front yard and shoots. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, it's you, a balance. If you're shooting, you're my roots is going off. We're balanced there here. We go. I feel like we're at a good place here. Around right. us, I think there's only three houses that don't have roosters. So we're so okay. that's perfect. Yeah. So let's move on to the next one. Do you have the strength to deal with pecking <laughs> order issues mm, here? Pen drama. Pen yeah. drama. And it's yeah. real. And do you want to have to deal with it? It is real. More drama than the young and the restless. It can cause a real hiccup in your life. It can be very stressful, especially yes. if you have like one of your heads is getting injured. It's very stressful when that happens. And let's look at it this way. When something happens to one of the hens, they get sick. Their nature is to do away with it. So you have to remove that hen. She can't be in there. You have to be able to set up a hospital separate. Is this a con for you? That's one of those things to think it of. It can take a lot of time and patience. Yeah. And yeah. It can be stressful. It takes a lot of strength and patience to deal with some of those situations. And, and I think it's harder as well for the new chicken keeper because the new chicken keeper ideally wants to have a number of different breeds because they look prettier. It's a different combination. It's better than looking at a solid block of gold with your buffalo pintons or a solid block of black with your copper black morans. So, you know, you might want one of each and maybe a light Sussex in there or a Favreau or a lovely combination of different breeds. But they don't get on well together necessarily the whole time because the breed temperaments are all different. The sizes are different and it can actually be quite hard to get that combination right. So for new chicken keepers, it can be a real shock if you've got multiple different breeds together and the little one gets picked on by the big one. And it's even more of a shocker if you've got a really big docile one who's getting picked on by an aggressive little breed. 
this is one of the main reasons we do breed spotlight. You need to be educated on the breed, on the temperament of the breed. And it's really important for the sanity of your flock and yourself to have like-minded chickens together. Oh yeah. We can't and this say is this why enough. your podcast is so rewarding because you do that breed spotlight and it's so useful to get to know how the combinations would work together. Right. Yeah. I mean, Thank honestly, you. even with all of our experience, there are still some breeds that I've just gotten that have done some things that I did not expect them to do. And delusions. And delusions. <laughs> what, you mean the crazy delusions? Mine are not as wild as Chrissy's, but I will say that the combination of the Andalusians and the Fayumis is like a whole different dimension. You have to plot out who you're going to get to make your life easier. Is this a con for you? I mean, honestly, you can make yourself a whole flow chart to try to figure out what works. Don't think one breed on its own, you're not going to have pecking order because you still will have pecking order. It may not be as dramatic, but you'll still have it. I think it's actually wise to have two separate flocks, at least, because you have some movement and you have some different chickens together and you can put like-minded ones here and like-minded here. So a stronger flock versus a more laid-back flock. That is the speech of the experienced chicken lady. Although I don't do that, but I've got the capability of splitting them if I need to. Exactly. I think most of us started off with one coop and we were like, this is it. I've got my coop. We I'm all old. did that. We started with seven hybrids, egg layers, and very quickly got another seven Orpingtons, which we kept separate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think two flocks is really ideal. And I yeah. say that because you can have some movement in moving some people around that if that one doesn't fit in here, you have a separate place already. Okay. Maybe I'll try to reintroduce over here. That goes back to planning. Yeah. I mean, we've all done it. We've all got the animal and then be like, where am I going to put it? And I got to build something. But planning your coops and runs ahead of time saves you money. It saves you heartache. It saves you time. And one of the things that we have started to say is build an enormous run. Biggest run you can have. Divide it down the middle so you can put a coop on either side. Yep. Yep. It does help. And that's what we've got at the moment. We've got this because we're in flock down in the UK. So we've got this 21 meter by three meter wide long tunnel run. But we've got two coops at both extreme ends. So at any time we can put a divider across the middle and keep them separate should we ever need to. At the moment, we don't need to because it's a beautifully settled flock. They have the little spats, but they're pretty well settled. I think the difference for ours is because they're all raised together by broody hens and the broody hens are introducing the chicks from day one into the flock. They know very quickly where their place is in the pecking order. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there's always someone at the bottom and that has been Uno for a long time, but she navigates so well because she has been bottom of the pecking order from the day she was hatched. Speaking of broody, because you just moved us right into the next con. Yeah. They can go broody when you need eggs. And I laugh because this will happen, especially if you have Orpingtons, let me tell you. Yep. Or Brahmins yeah. or coaches. Salmon Fabrols. Or Jersey Giants or Nandy. Or Silkies. It's going to happen. Silkies. So we have another roundtable episode. I don't know what number it is. We'll have to look it up. But we talk about what happens when they go broody and all this stuff. That is a con. If you're not yeah. prepared and educated on going broody, you will think something's wrong. So you have to educate yourself on what does it mean when everybody keeps saying my chicken's going to go broody? Know what that means and and is it going to be a con? If you've chosen a broody breed, know that that means her laying is going to stop. Again, a breed spotlight. You're not going to get eggs during that period. 
And she might go broody more than one time in the same year. Oh my God, so many times. So that's another (laughs) thing to think about. I mean, it's all part of the puzzle. These are all of the things you need to think about before you get your first Exactly. Yeah. Let's go on. So another one you list is they are nervous with time and patience. This is one of the pros we had because actually it's that trust element and the rewards of when they do trust you are amazing. But they, by their nature, are a prey animal. So things hunt them. What's ingrained in them is to run away from anything that they don't know. So until they get to know you and trust you, they're more likely to run away from you. Now Um, here it's a little less likely because you get a one day old chick. So you're going to be able to grow that bond. If you take the time. If you take the time. If the time is your issue and you don't have the time to put into it, that might be a con. Chickens take a lot of your time. When they're young, you have to invest it the whole time because if you do it for the first week and they trust you and then you stop putting the effort in, by the time you've gone to their four weeks old, they'll be running away from you again. Yes, right. Exactly. It's got to be consistent. Do you have that time to invest in your flock? Our episode next week, we're going to have a conversation with Jeanette Berenger from the Livestock Conservancy. And she says something important that I think fits in this discussion. Make sure you like chickens. Yeah. Yes, of course. (laughs) Some people get into chickens and they don't like them. But they get into it strictly to get eggs. And that's not a reason to get into chickens. For many things we've already talked about, it's going to cost you a lot of money, which brings us into the other thing. Yeah. To be aware of the financial part of this, it's going to cost some money to set up your flock, to set up or build a run in a coop, to take care of them medically, to supply feed all the time. There's definitely financial investment. Yes, investment. That you could build your own coop and save some money, but with the prices of lumber and wire and things like that now, it's still a considerable investment. And they will have medical problems. It's not if they do. They will. It's when they do. It's they, they when will. they do. You're going to have to put in some time and finances to take care of medical things with chickens. And that might be a con for you. It might not be something that you want to do. Even if you're lucky enough never to have an injury or to have a significant illness with your chickens, there's still going to be day-to-day medical things to take care of. There'll be minor cuts and abrasions, so you do need to be able to address that and take care of it. The likelihood of getting either chicken lice, northern fowl mite or red mite is actually during their lifetime pretty high, actually. So that costs quite a bit of money for the various treatments and what have you to get rid of those. And you do have to get rid of them because those little blighters can kill over time. They absolutely absolutely can kill your chickens. Mites are a thing that happen. It doesn't mean you're a bad chicken keeper. It doesn't mean your cooper run is dirty. Mites are opportunistic and they're hard to get rid of. It does take time and effort. It's like looking at this list and saying, these are my pros. These are my cons. Where do I weigh in on this part of it? And 100% of the time I was on the pros. And that's why I'm there now. That's why I have 20 some chickens because the pros outweigh the cons for me and they will continue my whole life. I'm with you. The cons are pros for me. Holly Ann just turns the cons into pros, and then she has double pros. One thing I can say about the three women at this table is we are seriously dyed-in-the-wool chicken ladies. I mean, we love these birds. This is a life choice for us. This isn't like Totally obsessed. I honestly cannot see myself at any point not having chickens now because they enrich my days every single day. And they, they do. 
They do. Well, the one thing we didn't talk about, which is really important and you have to think about is with any pet, chickens, dogs, cats, birds, whatever, traveling, you have to have someone there to take care of them. When you go away, it's something to think about. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to have to bother with pet sitters and paying someone and all those things, that might be something to think about. And the thing we were talking about earlier, sickness. If you get sick, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to those birds. You have to go take care of them. Is that something that you don't want to have to worry about? That's very real. I'm probably more manic than most people, but I got this from my mom and I got it very early. The animals are taken care of first. I do that too. With the exception of breakfast, like eat Coffee breakfast. is the only exception. Yeah. And then you take care of the animals first. That's the way it works. And my whole no, life- No, I do animals first and then that. coffee. You figure out what your system is, but the reality is no matter what you're doing, your animals are still first. Yeah. Deal, Absolutely. like if you don't want to do that, that is perfectly fine. Yeah. Then that would be under your cons and it might not be for you. They need everyday care and- yeah. Is that something that you don't want to get into? I don't fault anybody. I know that you know yourself well enough to know that I'm not going to want to do that. I think that's very mature. A couple of years ago, Hugh and I both got very ill. We were lucky that Hugh was ill first. And when he started to get better, I then became ill. And it was very high fever. And I'm not going to go into the symptoms. It just wasn't pretty at all. But actually, both of us were dragging ourselves out of bed every day. And it was just... I mean, we would have to keep sitting down and stopping mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, that the drinkers were full and the feeders were full and the chickens were picked and everything was clean and they were well looked after. And it was just awful. But I'll tell you what, there was somebody last year I turned down. They wanted to buy some chickens off us and I actually turned them down because everything was going so well when I was talking to them about their setup and what they were going to do. And then they mentioned that they went away for long weekends on a regular basis. And I said, oh, so you have set up and support? Oh, no, it would be absolutely fine. I've um, seen the feeders that you've got, the on-demand feeders, and they'll be fine with those. And, you know, we've got the drinkers, they'll be okay. And I said, what happens if they knock over their drinkers? What are you going to do? They couldn't give me an answer for the drinkers. It was, no one was going to come in and check. There wasn't a problem with the feeders because even with the treadle feeders that I've got, which are on-demand feeders, and you can load up with a week's worth of food, there was nothing to say that something doesn't get trapped underneath it. So they can't push the treadle down. That does happen. Mm -hmm. So you've got to check them every single day and you've got to make sure that the drinkers are full. Um, I mean, we have multiple drinkers, but they can knock them over. They cannot be closed properly and potentially all the water can just trickle out and seep out and empty very, very quickly. They could soil the water as well. You know, you can very easily have a chicken just poop in the water and you're not going to want to leave that. Exactly. I mean, it's just something that you have to do. And like I said, if this isn't something that you want to have to worry about, that would be on your cons list. Last year, Sophia had COVID, then I had COVID. Yeah. Sophia, Joe, and Ella started doing the chores because I couldn't move. So I'm like, okay, I was trying to get out there. And they're like, no, no, no. So by the end of the day, they looked at me and they were like, how do you get all this stuff done? Because with the three of us, it's a lot of animal chores in this house. And I'm like, I just do it. It's just instilled in me. I get it done. You know, it's not like a chore. It's my life. 
that's the way I feel. I like being out there with my animals. I like being out there to see them. I like taking care of them. Hugh keeps saying to me, I'll get up and I'll do the chickens in the morning. Don't take that away from me. That's my <laughs> job. I yeah. enjoy it. And if you think of it more as a chore, then it might not be for you. But if it's just your way of life, if you think that's the way you want your life to be. Best start of the day. But you have to answer these questions for yourself because if you get heritage breeds, you're looking at eight to 10 year commitment for these chickens. You're looking at yeah. eight to 10 months before they lay too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah. And then just getting everything ready and built. It's a big commitment. You know, I thought of something else and that is inflation. Our Price feed of- is doubled. Well, we used to pay 15 or $16 for a bag of food. It's now 25 or $26. Yeah. So Yeah, this year it's been absolutely crazy. Actually, because it's a local family firm that makes the pellets that we get really high quality stuff, but they were selling for seven ninety nine for twenty kilo sack and they're now eleven ninety nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And chick micro pellets have gone way up. They're about sixteen pound ninety nine. Wow. Twenty kilos. Yeah, massive rise. It's a lot to think about. Do your research. Listen to the podcast. We talk every week about something that you're gonna come across. Listen to your gut too. Yeah. Fiona, thank you for coming and sitting at our table via Zoom. Oh, I've loved it. English. I always love the round tables. We and do too. We do too. And like we said, if you find out that chickens aren't for you, that's okay. If chickens are for you, we can help you. We're your ladies. And you can always vicariously chicken keep through our visuals Insta. on Instagram or by listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube channel, English Country Life. Okay. So until next month, Fiona, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. We just want to thank Fiona one more time for coming on and having a nice chat with us this month. I think it's really worth taking the time this year to decide if you want to get chickens or if you want to expand your flock. Or if it's not right for you and you just want to buy some local farm eggs. Right. There's no right or wrong answer to this. It's just what works for you. Exactly. So thank you again to Fiona. Don't forget to check out her YouTube channel, English Country Life. Okay. So let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Italian sugar cookies. These are easy and they're delicious. And you can get chicken cookie cutters. Yeah, you can. So -hmm. that you can make Italian chicken sugar cookies. Now, this is a softer sugar cookie. And for that reason, it uses shortening. Right. Now, you can use what you want to use. I use a Spectrum Organic shortening. Right. You could use Crisco. Right. In other words, these are not the healthiest cookies, but, but that's okay. It's a cookie. It's a, it's a splurge. Yeah. Okay, so let's go through the ingredients of what you're going to use for your sugar cookies. Three quarters of a cup of shortening, three quarters of a cup of sugar. What? That's all the sugar in a sugar cookie? We need to bump that up. Well, you can put some extra sugar in different forms on it at the end. Oh, I'm adding extra sugar everywhere. Oh, my God. Three eggs, a teaspoon of vanilla, three cups of all-purpose flour or gluten-free flour, Three teaspoons of baking powder and an eighth of a teaspoon of salt. Okay, and optional, you can make an icing for your sugar cookies. You can do a powdered sugar glaze. Traditionally, the Italian sugar cookies have like a colored glaze. They'll do a pastel color and then all kinds of sprinkles and things like that. So you can just use some food coloring in your glaze. Right. So in a medium-sized mixing bowl, you're going to combine all your dry ingredients except the sugar. The flour, the baking powder, the salt, set that aside. In the large mixing bowl, you're going to cream the shortening and the sugar until it's fluffy. So much easier than creaming in cold butter. Absolutely. Then you're going to beat your eggs one at a time and then add your vanilla. You're going to add the flour mixture in three additions to the butter mixture. Right. Mix it until it's well combined. 
Now you can do it either the traditional way, which is to shape it into like a ball of dough that's maybe one and a half inch in diameter. Right. And then you would just place those an inch apart on the baking sheets. Actually, I like sill pats or foil on my baking sheets. Now, or I was going to say, could you refrigerate this for a little while and roll it out? Yeah, you can. That will harden it up a little bit so you can cut now, it. Now, if you're using gluten-free flour, you can abuse it. Yeah. But if you're using regular flour, you need to not handle it a ton. Exactly. Because you don't want to make it tough. You'll make your cookie like... Right. So if you put it in the fridge, you can probably harden it up a little bit so that you can roll it out yeah, and make cut it your chicken cookies. Same thing. It's going to go on a baking sheet with at least an inch between the cookies. You're going to bake at 400 degrees. It's a little bit higher. It is high, yeah. For 8 to 10 minutes or until the edges are lightly browned. If I'm doing the rolled out sugar cookies, I think I would drop that. That's for a thicker cookie. A round ball, yes. For a rolled out cookie, I would go down to 375 or even 350. Yeah. I think 350 if they're thin. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And then, you know, once they've cooled, you can put a powdered sugar glaze. Yeah. Which is like a, a cup of powdered sugar and a tablespoon of some kind of liquid. Now, we always say like eight to 10 minutes. Now, my old oven, I just got a brand new beautiful double oven, but my old oven was always 13 minutes for a cookie no matter what. Okay. But I'm going to have to wait because I haven't done cookies in this oven yet. My oven runs hot, so I usually have to knock off at least two minutes. You allow it to cool, you decorate them, and you enjoy them. So those are the sugar cookies. You can go on Amazon and find the chicken cookie cutters. Oh, yeah. I have a couple different ones. I have lots of them now. I keep buying them. I have some sheep and some alpacas, too. Have some fun with it and send us pictures. We would love to see it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's retail therapy, we are talking about the Backyard Poultry Keeping Workshop, one of the nonprofits that we really like, the Akakik Foundation. We love this place. It's set up to be what a middle class family in Colonial Times Farm would have been like. It's across the Potomac from Mount Vernon. Right. And this is a really, really wonderful organization. Allison Bodie over there is doing a great job. She's a livestock manager. We love her. Right, exactly. So this is a two-day workshop. It's going to run March 25th and 26th, 12 to 3 both days, $30. Amazing. Which is really good. They're in PG County, Maryland. If you're anywhere around this area of and Washington, D.C., Virginia, yeah, the Maryland. The of the Delmarva, it's great. Yeah, I think we door-to-door takes us like an hour and a half to yeah. get there. They have so many great animals on the farm there, all heritage breeds. So it's $30 for a ticket if you sign up and you use the code CHICKENLADIES. You get 20% off. Woohoo! Which is great. So, yeah. So, if you're in the area, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Delaware, West uh, Virginia, West Virginia, Washington, D.C., and you're thinking about starting a flock, head over to the Akakik Foundation, over to the Colonial Farm. It'll be great. You're going to love Allison. So, the topics that they're going to address include breed selection. Now, they have Javas. It would be fantastic just to go to see their Javas. The supplies needed, care and feeding. Egg processing, which could be really handy. Yeah. And then like lots of little tips and tricks and resources that the staff want to share. We have a link to the event on our show notes. Yeah. Or you can head over to the Akakik Foundation website. And remember, use our code CHICKENLADIES to get 20% off. That's really good. Make a day out of it. Check out their animals. They have a great pier where you go out, you look across, you see Mount Vernon. They have the cattle, the sheep. It's really a nice place to take the kids. It's actually a huge place. So you get there and it's Piscataway Park. Piscataway is the name of a local Native American group. And the Akakik Foundation administers the park and also the National Colonial Farm. Right. The animals, they're in a modern facility, obviously. Yeah. 
but they have Dexter cattle, they have Hog Island sheep, they have the Javas, and they have at least one bourbon red turkey and they had a buff Jersey turkey. Yes. So they are going to be talking about not just chickens, but also poultry. Yeah. So there's a fantastic opportunity to do a chicken course in a really cool place. And support an amazing nonprofit mm-hmm. organization that is helping us keep history alive and teaching us the value of where we were and where we started in colonial times. Right. So it's amazing. Yep. So fantastic. if you go, tell us. Send us a message. We would love to know if you go. Oh, yeah. Send us photos, too. We love your pictures. Just keep them coming. (laughs) It's so much fun. We love your messages. Okay, so we should tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week. Next week, we are spotlighting. Oh, this is the one that started it all. This started it all. The white-faced Black Spanish. 2.0. It's going to be a good one. Our main topic, we have one of our favorite guests, Jeanette Berenger from the Livestock Conservancy. She's coming on for a listener request. How to get started with conservation breeding. It's a good interview. You don't want to miss it. Cracking the eggs. We're doing a faux fried rice. It's vegetable egg fried rice. Delicious. Oh my God, I want some now. Retail Therapy, we're giving a review of Roosty's new chick feeder and water And I'm talking, they're brand new. They're great. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.